Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. I am back. I was in Washington, D.C. for 24 hours, and here I am. Boy, it is good to be home, as they say. Tonight is the biggest night in the religious calendar of Jews, Yom Kippur or Yom Kippur, and it is the Day of Atonement. It is a day in which you look into yourself. What kind of person was I last year? What kind of person will I be this year? The entire premise is huge, and it is that you can change. It's a really interesting question. How many people do change? I don't know the answer to that. The premise is that you can change, but is is that a fact? Do people awaken one day and say, hmm, I could be a better person if I did X, Y, or Z? But that's the premise. That is the hope. That is the supposition. As you know, or many of you would know, I would like to put some billboards up in the country to the effect, a reminder, colon, God judges you. Have a good day. This, we have been so love-saturated, it has done more harm than good. You know I have a big problem with unconditional love, which means that you don't have to change. You're loved loved no matter what you do or how you act, how you speak. You are loved. And I don't buy that. But anyway, just some thoughts. You can stream it, incidentally. I conduct, this is the 15th year, I'm conducting major services with gorgeous music. And I explain everything so that non-Jews and Jews and others are going to benefit from it. It's at uh, DennisPrager.com. Correct the link to the streaming. You can, by the way, you, you get it. You can watch it until the end of the year. You can watch it live. You can watch it to the end of the year. Or you can go to Salem, what is it, Salem Live? Sean, what is it to see the streaming? Salem Live? Of my service. Salem Now? There are a lot of Salems. Anyway, it's easy. There's there's simply a link at DennisPrager.com where it says cited on the show. It's all over the site. Blessings. Excellent. Excellent. So I'm going to go into a political matter at at this moment. The American Greatness, one of the finest sites there is, has an article, Will Libertarian Candidates Again Deny GOP the Senate? We use libertarians on the program. We have them make videos for PragerU. They have excellent, excellent ideas and 
critiques of big government, which is critical. However, the Libertarian Party, to vote Libertarian is an exercise in answering the following question in the wrong way. Will I do good or will I feel good? I would say that in the human species, people choose feeling good over doing good most of the time. That is what happens when you vote for the Libertarian Party. You are doing bad. That's right. You are doing something bad. You're probably a wonderful human being with great ideas, and I share most values with you. But I don't share the biggest single value right now, and that is defeating the left. You have wasted your vote and taken it, in most cases, from the Republican Party, which is certainly imperfect. I couldn't agree more, but it is the only alternative to the Democratic Party, which is destroying this beautiful, wonderful free country. So when you weaken the battle against the left, which is what every libertarian vote of a conservative does, you are harming the country, though you mean well. But you know what? As you probably do know what? Meaning well means nothing. Absolutely nothing. And if you ask, am I doing good or feeling good, you won't vote for the Libertarian Party. You will vote for the Republican Party. It's a great article on that fact uh, in, the, in American Greatness, as I pointed out. The political reality in America today is that of a two-party system. Embracing this reality means if you want to change the political direction of the nation, you have to transform one of the two major parties. Denying this reality by running as a third-party candidate can also transform the political direction of the nation, but it's unlikely to change in the direction of the third-party candidate the third-party candidate wants to go. Third-party candidates rarely win elections, but they're very good at splitting the vote. This is the only context in which the National Libertarian Party, if you will vote Libertarian and you don't agree, I'm very anxious to talk to you, by the way, 18 Prager 776 the party of principle, quote-unquote. Really, the party of principle. So I will let my country sink and die because I stand up for principles. I stand for principles too. The, The biggest principle might be I live in reality. I don't live in a make-believe world. Democrats, leftists live in a make-believe world where sex is not a given. It's assigned by humans. Okay? That's make-believe. America systemically racist is make-believe. I will influence the country toward libertarian values by voting libertarian is make-believe. The number of people who live in a make-believe world is very large. I don't know what I don't know what the what's the word I'm looking for. 
what the payoff is. I guess that's as good a word as any. What do you get from from taking a vote away from the right and giving it to the left? What what do, what do you what? Why why do you feel good about yourself? What have you achieved by voting for the Libertarian Party if you are a conservative? What have you achieved? Is there any more important question about anything you do in life? What have you morally achieved? I'm not talking about what have you achieved financially. (sighs) Yep. This party, with its principled candidates above all else, believes in limited government, which is to say they oppose socialism. And voila! When you split the anti-socialist vote... The socialist wins. If you can refute that one line, I will visit you and uh, offer you one of my finest cigars. Let me repeat that line. When you split the anti-socialist vote, the socialist wins. That's a great line, isn't it? That's exactly what happens. Why do people vote Democrat who are liberal and not leftist? Because it feels good. It would feel awful to vote Republican. Most people are governed by feelings. Mm -hmm. Feelings make us human, but they're crappy guides to how to behave. It's quite remarkable. I I wish I could sit back and just ruminate on the human condition. Unfortunately, I feel morally obligated to take part in the human condition. I don't like watching things get destroyed. History repeats itself, and we're seeing that play out with inflation. When Jimmy Carter took office in the late 70s, gold sold for $140 an ounce. By 1980, the price of gold topped out at $870 an ounce. If today's market performs like it did when Carter was in office, the price of gold could skyrocket from $1,800 an ounce to $9,300 an ounce. This is Dennis Prager for AmFed Coin and Bullion. Don't miss out on a great opportunity to purchase precious metals while the prices are still stable. If history repeats itself, we'll see a run on gold, silver, and platinum that will certainly drive up prices. Be smart and buy now as I am. At AmFed, you're dealing with specialists who provide you with personalized attention, honest information, and sound advice. You'll never be pressured into buying outrageously priced so-called collectible coins or anything that you don't need. Take advantage of today's prices. AmFed Coin and Bullion, 800-221-7694. AmericanFederal.com, AmericanFederal.com. So let me give you some data here from this piece. The human condition is what it is. Most people don't ask in these macro matters, or even in micro matters, will it do good as much as they ask, will it feel good? The Libertarian Party is, let us feel good about ourselves while we help the the left destroy the country. That is the Libertarian Party in a nutshell. I didn't exaggerate one iota. 
They are one of the greatest helpers of the left in the country, the Libertarian Party. Libertarian think tanks are terrific. The Libertarian Party is completely destructive. Completely. It helps the left more than any other non-left thing in America. Let's take 2016. Gary Johnson, the the, uh, libertarian candidate, got over 4.5 million votes. That's great. That's great. What message did you send? You sent the message of, hey, we 4.5 million people believe in limited government, so we're going to try to give the reins of power over to the people who believe in big government. That's quite an achievement. Four and a half million votes in tight elections. Under foolish must be a picture of the Libertarian Party. Under I want to feel good about myself is a picture of the Libertarian Party. Under screw the Conservative Party and let's elect the left-wing party is a picture of the Libertarian Party. But feel good about yourself. Yeah, you're a purist. Purists do nothing good in this world. You know that? Nothing. They live to feel pure. Ah, I'm a pure libertarian, unlike the the soiled Republicans. On the state level, Gary Johnson very nearly handed crucial states to Hillary Clinton. In Pennsylvania, where Trump's margin was just 1.3 percentage points, Johnson got 2.4 percentage of the vote. In Wisconsin, where Trump won by 0.6%, Johnson got 3.7%. God, I read this and I I really... My contempt for the Libertarian Party only increases. Just remember, it's the human condition... I want to feel good about myself. That's what animates the left. Oh, we're going to conquer global warming by banning all gas-powered cars from being sold in California as of 2035. I feel good about myself. How exactly are we going to power all of those cars? Uh, I don't have to answer that. I have to feel good. The whole left motto is we don't do good, we feel good. If if they wanted to do good, you know what they would do? They would build desalination stations or power infrastructure in places like California. We have a drought, do what Israel does. Israel now exports water. Israel has no, no water. It's half desert, the Negev. So they desalinate from the Mediterranean. They now have all the water they want. France gets 70%, 60 to 70% of its electric power from, from nuclear power. But the left doesn't want nuclear power because it does good. It puts them out of business. That's, that's what it... People do not... Uh, People who think about life at all do do not understand the power 
of the desire to feel good about yourself. Oh, I'm anti-racist. That's what the NFL does. Every end zone has some message on the grass. Fight racism. Ah, now we feel good about ourselves. Does it actually accomplish anything? Nothing. Nothing. Not only did Johnson very nearly leave the blue wall intact for Democrats in 2016, he also took states out of play that might have been toss-ups. In Colorado, for example, Trump lost by 3.6 percentage points. Gary Johnson got 4.7 percentage points. In Nevada, Trump lost by 2.7 percentage points, and Johnson got 2.3.1 percent. Hmm. In the 2020 election, it is possible that Joe Jorgensen, the libertarian candidate, threw the election to Biden. In the six states where Trump was reported to have lost by the thinnest of margins, the impact of the libertarian candidate either flipped the election to Biden or very nearly did. Well. Well. That's the story. Let me feel good about me. I am pure. The the Republican Party is not pure. That's the story with the the never-Trump conservatives. They're preoccupied with Trump's character, as they understand it to be, flawed, instead of the battle against the left. Why did the left win? Because of foolish conservatives. That's why. Weak, weak liberals and foolish conservatives have given this country over to the nihilistic left, which is a small percentage of the country. Libertarians, when they vote libertarian, they are handing a vote, they are taking a vote away from the party that does not believe that children should be sexualized at the age of five. How does a libertarian defend that morally? I am enabling the party that says that there aren't boys and girls in schools, just students. That's the party I enable when I vote libertarian. How do you sleep well at night? The answer is the ability of the human being to dull his conscience is infinite. That is the answer. So all I could do is point it out. You have dulled your conscience. It is about as irrational and indefensible a vote a conservative can ever tender. 1A Prager 776. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. Welcome to the program. Back from Washington, D.C. Big day yesterday at the Museum of the Bible, which you should all visit. It's really powerful, beautiful place. And people came from around the country. I was very touched. I really was touched. People came from California, from North Dakota, well, of course, Virginia, Maryland, the surrounding areas of Washington, 
but truly, Florida, I was very moving for the celebration. And they were the first people in the country to receive what's coming out next week, the third of my five volumes, on the first five books of the Bible. I'd like to pose a question to you and then get into a some some current issues. How do you know what's right? Funny question, right? The answer for most modern people is, I just know. Hmm. But you have to admit that people who do terrible things say the same thing. How do you know what's right? I just know. So, it's a very, to say the least, very important question, is it not? Is there any code higher than you? And for most Americans, an increasing number of people, certainly for all secular people, their code is what what they assent to. And it may be a beautiful one, but they they are their gods. Another thing that has hit me, the older I have gotten, people want to be their own gods. I'm not even saying this as an attack. I'm just saying this as a description of the human condition, as I call it. La condition humaine. For whatever reason, it works out better sounding in French. That's what it is. People don't want to have a God telling them what to do. And so we we see the results. When people make up what is right and what is wrong and have no transcendent source for that answer what is right and what is wrong. So then people can truly believe that they are moral when they believe that a fully viable fetus may be killed for no reason other than the mother wants it killed. That's what happens when you don't have a God telling you right and wrong. Or, more specifically, a book. And those of us who try to follow that book, I'm referring to the Bible, we are said to be non-thinkers. You're just blind followers. So that's how they justify having nothing but their own conscience to guide them which is usually a very lousy guide. Your conscience is exactly what you want it to be. That's what your conscience is for most people. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to be... You could be an atheist, I would assume, and just deduce from any code that is higher than you that a viable fetus cannot be killed except if it's killing the mother. So it's an act of self-defense. 
in the the book that uh, coming coming out next week, the next volume of my Rational Bible. What I've done in this series, in these five books, this is the third to come out, it's the fifth book of the Bible, is explain why this is the finest code for you to adopt in your life. And that means explaining some difficult laws. There are some difficult laws. I explain them. I really hope you'll read it. Deuteronomy was the most cited book by the founders of America. I did not know that until recently. I did not know that until after the book was actually written. I just found it out a few months ago. A scholar used computers to see what books were the most cited by the founders. Montesquieu, the French Enlightenment thinker, was number two. Number one was Deuteronomy. And by golly, that's what's coming out, the Rational Bible series that I'm putting out. I use reason to explain everything. People don't have a commander or a code. They make up morality as they go along. And therefore, they simply adopt what the majority wants wants them to adopt. They don't want to stick out. And that's why children's hospitals can be such pushers of puberty blockers. And if you oppose puberty blockers in 12-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 13-year-olds, You are considered a bad person. We are living a biblical curse. The times in which good will be called evil and evil will be called good. You risk losing your child in the United States of America in the year 2022. If your child comes to you and says, if your daughter comes to you and says, I am a boy and she is 11 or even 10 or even younger, and you say, no, darling, you are a girl. Nature and or God made you that way. You risk losing your child, especially if you're divorced and the other parent says, oh, no, I wish to, let us use their term, affirm my child's identity. I was reading a piece in Reason magazine about a Swedish couple that is raising their three children with no gender. Those lucky kids, they will get to choose whether they are a boy or a girl when they get older. Wow. These people are their own gods. They are guided by what they think is right and wrong. That's it. There's no fixed male-female. It's a choice. Like, what color will you wear when we go to the restaurant tonight? That's all it is. Sex is taste. Why isn't species? I was thinking when I read it, why raise them as, as, uh, I'm not being at all sarcastic, why raise them as necessarily human? What if they wish to identify as an animal? I, I, don't, I don't know a good answer to that. 
If you feel like a cat, are you a cat? In what state was it? I think, uh, was it Vermont? I'll read it to you. A man who, young man who said that he is a teenager, I think it was, who said he is a girl, got to go into the girls' locker room, stand there naked. The girls were not happy with that. And so the school said, he has the locker room, he, she, or whatever you want to call the person, they have the locker room. You girls will have to go into a tiny little room if you don't want to see his penis. Why will he be able to show you his male organ? Because he says he's a girl. That's it. That's all you have to do. Is that If that doesn't qualify as a crisis, what does? And to tie it in with the subject of my first hour, those who vote for the Libertarians, for the Libertarian Party, are facilitating this type of behavior by keeping the Democrats in power. But they feel good about themselves, as do the people who advocate for late-term abortions and males exposing themselves in female locker rooms. They all feel good about themselves. Conscience doesn't always work, does it? So here is uh, the headline of the Daily Mail. Vermont girls high school volleyball team. How did that happen? You know how easy it is to click on something else on a page? <laughs> Vermont girls high school volleyball team is barred from their own locker room after complaining about transgender student who uses it and who made an inappropriate remark to them. Members of the Randolph High School in Vermont volleyball team after change in bathroom stalls or no a, a bathroom stall after complaining about transgender student using their locker room the female players claim the transgender student made a comment to them while they were changing that they found to be quote inappropriate under Vermont state law, students can play sports and use the locker rooms of whatever gender with which they identify. So he was standing there naked. And most girls and females older than girls, the younger the female, the more sensitive she is, does not want to see a male naked exposing himself unless she wishes to see it. She is intimate with this man. But we are supposed to believe that this is a girl, a girl with a penis. My contempt for the well-educated is very deep, since they are overwhelmingly the people who tell us that these are women with penises. So the question is, do they believe it? I've asked this about the left all of my life. 
I increasingly believe that they believe the stuff they come up with. The great quote comes to me every day. When people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. The girls' volleyball team at Randolph High School either has the guy walk around naked in their locker room or they are kicked out of their locker room. Even if this is a sincere individual who really believes that he is now a female, let us say that is true, wouldn't decency argue that nevertheless, since they, I will say they, out of neutral respect, wouldn't they take into cognizance the fact that they still appear as 100% male and that therefore exposing themselves to the girls is not appropriate? So let us understand, if you expose yourself to a female and you say you're a male, you can get arrested. If you expose yourself to a female and say you're a female, you are protected by the law. Right? Isn't that how it works? My trusty... And let's see, partner in my shows, one of one of the two, has just IM'd me. If one of the girls had a sexual encounter with this person, with the penis, would they consider this a lesbian relationship? The the rape of language that is taking place in our time, the killing of a perfectly viable human being in the womb is now reproductive health. Reproductive health. There you go. Who wrote, Who said it? Was it Plato? He who controls the language controls the society. It's a very old phrase. It's very true. Well, I wonder what the parents of these girls at the at Randolph High School think. Will they keep their kids in Randolph High School? The whole team should just stop playing. Girls, you got to fight at some point. You might as well fight when it makes a difference. If Randolph High School no longer had a volleyball team, a girls' volleyball team, you think it would uh, make uh, make a difference? The only members of the team, of the girls' team, were those who had male organs. Yeah. This proves, by the way, that a vast number of people will believe anything if the society tells them to believe it. I so now better understand the Soviet Union than I ever did, or communist China, 
or fascist Italy or Germany, I understand them much better now. People will believe anything they are told. Not people, most people. Anything. That's right. That's a girl. And you believe it. Those who tell the stories rule society. That's from Plato. All right. Thank you. Not many of you know that Sean got that from the original ancient Greek. And that's why, yes, he says, that's why it took so long. That's exactly right. Hey, good news. Canada has now dropped the mask mandate. (laughs) Canada has become a a, a living joke. Won't require masks on planes. Wow. Can I finally get into Canada to give a lecture now? I'm not vaccinated. Hmm. That's a thrill. Back in a moment, 1-8 Prager, 776. Yeah, watch that. That'll really provoke you into reading this great book, Deuteronomy, and hopefully my commentary to explain it, the Rational Bible, Deuteronomy is coming out next week. You can pre-order it at Amazon or at the Prager store. Starbucks is sending out an email to all those who get emails, which is millions of people from Starbucks. Starbucks! Celebrate Latinx Heritage Month. Latinx. L-A-T-I-N-X. When I first saw it, I thought it was Latinx. And my first reaction was, was it a tissue? Was it a Latin Kleenex? Latinx. Turns out Latinx because the left won't say Latino. Latinos say Latino, but left-wing Americans, non-Hispanic, non-Latino, say Latinx. Is anybody at Starbucks embarrassed? Well, here's an example of where you could do a very easy thing and uh, let the, let Starbucks know that they have degraded themselves. They have degraded Latinos. They have degraded the English language. And just unsubscribe from their emails. Is there, a, is there an unsubscribe line in there? Good. That's what you need to do because many of you got this one. Let's, um, let's see here. Uh, yep, there it is. This email was sent to, and you can now unsubscribe. You should unsubscribe. If you want to send them a note, that's even better. So this is my theory. The heads of Starbucks couldn't care less, but some young female execs have uh, decided that we have to show our solidarity with the neutering of even Spanish. Spanish will say Latino, but this is Latinx. Thank you. To those who sent me this, who receive mail from Starbucks, the cowardice, that's what it is, it's the cowardice 
of big corporations should be another lesson about how everything big that I can think of stinks. I think the only thing I want big is the military. (laughs) Because it doesn't work if it's not big. Anyway, what the left is doing to the military is well known. So here is the latest news from Canada, our Cuban neighbor, neighbor to the north. Canada drops vaccine mandate won't require masks on planes. This is from NBC Los Angeles. The Canadian government announced Monday it will no longer require people to wear masks on planes to guard against COVID-19. The existing rules for masks will come off October 1st. So we're past October 1st. Nice. But I want to read to you a couple of things from this that I found of interest. First, Transport Minister Omar Al-Gabra said, We are able to do this because tens of millions of Americans rolled up, excuse me, Canadians rolled up their sleeves and got vaccinated. That's what the Transport Minister said. Congratulations, Canadians, on rolling up your sleeves and getting a useless vaccine. Health Minister, this is now, you ready? The next line is, I think, a little truer. Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos said the negative attitudes of some passengers have made it hard for airlines and crews to enforce the mask mandate in recent months and cited that as a factor in the decision. Very rare you get news that Canadians are not sheep. This is really nice to hear. There are non-sheep-like Canadians who understood the asininity of masks on airplanes, the cleanest air you can breathe on planet Earth, probably outside of Antarctica. Well done, those of you in Canada who didn't wear the mask on the plane. Hey, everybody, Dennis Prager, Ultimate Issues, our third hour every Tuesday. Ultimate Issues Hour could be renamed the Wisdom Hour, not as a compliment to me. There's nothing to do with me in that sense. But because that's what it's about, you don't get wise if you're not taught wisdom any more than... You get to be a violinist without being taught the violin. It's it's amazing how people think, oh, you you gain wisdom just by getting older. But even if you believe that, then you have to believe that kids have no wisdom. But it's not true. Kids can be given wisdom. I wrote a piece on that recently, that that the kids in my yeshiva, religious Jewish school, I would say that my classmates had more wisdom when they were 11 than almost any professor at uh, in universities in America today. Professors. Because they weren't taught wisdom and they don't have any. 
You don't get it just by getting older. If you're a fool at 20, good chance you'll be a fool at 60. Unless you work at being an unfool, which is almost impossible if you stay in a university setting. So that's my advocacy in a nutshell with regard to the Bible and especially the first five books, the wisest things ever written in human history, the most influential. But they need to be explained. That's why I'm putting out the Rational Bible. The third volume is coming out next week. It's the fifth book, but it's the, my third volume. I didn't do it in order. So I made a video for PragerU on this book, the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy. And it's, a, it's powerful stuff. I'd like you to hear it, and then I will interrupt it and take your questions. Here we go. The only way to become a good person or to make a better society is by studying goodness. You can watch it. Many people think all you need to do good or be good is to have good intentions. But you can no more be good without studying how to be good than you can play piano without studying how to play piano or practice medicine without studying medicine. There's a word for the study of goodness and how to make a good world. Wisdom. Unfortunately, however, for much of the last century, few schools and even few parents have taught wisdom. The result is moral chaos. Most of the wisdom of Western civilization, the civilization that has been the most successful in history in making good societies, comes from the Bible. That's why the Bible is the most influential book ever written. So I'll share with you some of the wisdom from just one book of the Bible, the fifth, Deuteronomy. One, do not show partiality in judgment, chapter 1, verse 17. A compassionate society is built on justice, not compassion. That might sound counterintuitive, but while we should be compassionate in our private lives, the state must be preoccupied with justice. That is the reason for this law. Judges are forbidden not only to show favor to the rich, but also to the poor. The purpose of a judge is to dispense justice. All right, let's stop Two, there for a moment. Do not be afraid. So I'm giving you seven awesome lessons of wisdom from this book of Deuteronomy that I write in my Rational Bible commentary series coming out next week. Do not show partiality in judgment. So now you know, and I make this clear in the text, the difference between justice and social justice. They have nothing in common. That's the reason people made up the term social justice, because it isn't justice. If it were justice, they wouldn't throw in an adjective. Correct? Correct. It's like, what is the difference between democracy and people's democracy? Why did the totalitarian communist regimes call themselves people's democracy? Because there is nothing at all in common between a democracy and a people's democracy. 
There's nothing in common at all between justice and social justice. Social justice is injustice. You favor the poor in a courtroom. Kamala Harris announced last week, correct, that they will be dispensing aid with regard to the Hurricane Ian in Florida based on race and financial circumstances. So it's not who has been most hurt by the hurricane, it's whom do we favor. That's social justice. Social justice and justice are not related. This is a major law. How many people know that there's a law in the Bible against favoring poor people in a courtroom? Very few. That's why I truly beg you, for the sake of your own wisdom and the society in which we live, to read this series. And now Deuteronomy and the Rational Bible. We continue with my video up on the book on PragerU. Number two, do not be afraid of anyone. Chapter 1, verse 17. Of anyone. Also chapter 1, verse 17. Every human being has fears. The question is, whom do we fear? And for most people, only if you fear God will you not fear men. Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer one of the few Germans to actively oppose the Nazi regime and who was executed for doing so, feared God more than Hitler. If more Germans had feared God more than they feared Hitler, and if more Russians had feared God more than they feared Stalin, tens of millions of people would not have been murdered. Okay, Three, let's hold it there. You will find... That's another big one. Do you know that most modern translations do not say fear of God? They say revere God. There isn't even a Hebrew word for revere that I know of, at least not in biblical Hebrew. It's fear. Yep. Because we fear. The human being is has built-in capacity to inevitably be afraid. So the question is in life is, what are you afraid of? It's why those who want bigger and bigger government hate religion. Ultimately, communists hated, the, hated it the most because they wanted to have all fear to be fear of the state not fear of God. If you fear God, you might not fear the state, and then that's the end of communism. It's the end of leftism, generally. Do not be afraid of anyone. Powerful stuff. Number three. Him, if you seek him. Uh, can Chapter you four, go back and you go back 29. and drop? Because I'd like people... You can't. All right. We can't go back. So it, the video is on the screen again. At, uh, Salem News Channel. You, you can watch me and anything I put up. You will find him if you seek him. Oh, I have a lot Just to say. Just as finding about a spouse that. can hold take on, years. Hold on, of hold on, hold on. 
I don't want to interrupt this when we take our break. just want to note that this is very big. God appears spontaneously to very few people. Certainly not. I wasn't one of them. You will find him if you seek him is the key to taking God and faith seriously. You, For most of us, I am certainly one of them. It takes a volitional decision. I will explain. Dennis Prager here, Ultimate Issues Hour. The book the founders of the United States cited the most was not an Enlightenment book. It was a biblical book, and it was Deuteronomy. And that's exactly what my latest book is coming out next week. You can, of course, order it now at Amazon or the Prager Store or anywhere you get a book. It's called The Rational Bible. It's the third volume I've published. We're talking about massive work over a decade, plus a lifetime of teaching it. So I'm giving seven lessons in the PragerU video that I just made and is up at PragerU on Deuteronomy. Seven big lessons. Here comes number three. You will find him if you seek him. Chapter 4, verse 29. Just as finding a spouse can take years of searching, so too finding God can take years of searching. But, like a good spouse, the effort is worth it. Without God, life has no ultimate, no objective meaning. If there's no God, every one of us is as insignificant as a grain of sand. It's not a coincidence that as fewer Americans take God and religion seriously, suicide and depression rates have risen dramatically. Okay, so let me comment on this one. You will find him if you seek him. People think that either they believe in God or they don't believe in God. It's like either you like pizza or you don't like pizza. You like the color yellow or you don't like the color yellow. Now, for some people, that's true. Not for me. I've spent a life seeking God. It's a great, it's a great project. And I do it through reason and especially through the first five books of the Bible. And that's why I've written all of this up. That's why I don't make the case for God's existence nearly as much as I make the case for God's necessity. I don't know why you wouldn't seek God, knowing the chaos that has ensued with the death of God in the West. Yeah, men give birth as the result of secularism chaos, the moral idiocies that you see abounding. Good is bad, bad is good, man is woman, woman is man. This is all post-Judeo-Christian, post-Biblical, if you will. So it's worth seeking. Number four, please. You shall have no other gods before me. Chapter 5, verse 7. We have more gods in modern life than idol worshippers had in the ancient world. Just to cite one of a dozen examples, many secular people believe in science the way religious people believe in God and the Bible. But there's a big problem with that. 
Unlike God and the Bible, science has nothing, simply nothing, to say about good and evil or about the meaning of life. Five. Okay, hold on there. So I have a list of all the false gods people believe in. It's very powerful. Change your life if you take it seriously. Science. That one's the one that I gave as an example. It cracks me up. What does science tell you about how to treat your fellow human being? Nothing. Does science tell you not to cheat on an exam? Does science tell you to stay faithful to your spouse? Science tells you not to stay faithful to your spouse. Because science wants you to reproduce. And the more women impregnated by a man, the better it is. That's that's the universal desire of science, if you will. Or how about survival of the fittest? Why should we spend money on the unfit? In fact, uh, Hitler was a social Darwinian. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was that was their their argument in his Germany about Germans forgetting about Jews. Why keep these people alive? They're not fit for life. He followed science. Hospitals don't follow science. They use science, but they're not doing it because of science. We don't treat the sick because of science. We treat the sick because we know science, but not because of science. We treat the sick because of a moral code that we have that has nothing to do with science. So the next time someone tells you they believe in science, ask them, what has science told you to do? with regard to treating your neighbor. Next, please. Love God with all your heart. Chapter 6, verse 5. Given all the unfair suffering in the world, it's difficult for many people to love God. I admit, I am one of them. God knows this love is difficult. That's why Deuteronomy commands us to love him. It's an amazing commandment, and it's amazing in another way. Deuteronomy is the first book in history to present a God who loves human beings and who wants human beings to love him. Wow, Six. hold on. That's big. Yeah. It's a great book. It's meant to, meant to be life-changing. Love God and God loves you. This was brand new to the human species. Thanks to the Torah, the first five books. There's so much that's brand new to the human species in the first five books that I believe that they were ultimately divinely given. I can't imagine people made up with this, made up this stuff 3,200 years ago. By the way, I do admit that I have, I have struggled with this commandment to love God with all my heart. I've had a wonderful life, but so many people have not through no fault of their own so it's been a struggle but it's a worthy struggle love God with all your heart all your soul all your might yes good one I like being challenged I like being forced to grow College doesn't do that. 
this book does. Take the break time, if you would, to order it from Prager Store or Amazon or wherever you want. The Rational Bible, Deuteronomy. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Ultimate Issues Hour. One of the greatest books, most influential, apparently, in making America, Deuteronomy. My commentary on it is coming out next week. You can pre-order it, of course. Amazon, the Prager Store, wherever you want. I pray you do. I've been working on this for 10 years. This five-volume explanation, that's really what it is. It's an explanation. You can't read the Bible without, especially the first five books, the, the, the foundational books of everything in the Old and New Testament, without somebody explaining it to you. And... Deuteronomy, by the way, has the most laws of any book. It has 240 laws, I believe that's the number. Amazing. It was a very hard thing, hard project in my life. By the way, it's beautifully printed, and I thank Regnery for that fact. So I made a five-minute PragerU video on Deuteronomy, which just came out. And I chose seven verses that are life-changing to offer to you. I think we're up to number six. Repeat them again and again to your children. Chapter 6, verse 7. Parents need to teach their children wisdom and moral values all the time. In the words of Deuteronomy, talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you go to bed and when you get up. Otherwise, others, such as morally confused teachers and social media, will teach your children neither wisdom nor good values. That's right. That's what uh, parents blew. The greatest generation, it is called, the generation of World War II. And they were great. But they made a spectacular mistake in the raising of their children. They just wanted them to have creature comforts that they, the parents, did not have. I began lecturing in my 20s, at 21. And by 25, I remember saying to audiences, you gave us everything you didn't have. The problem is you didn't give us what you did have. Yes, religious wisdom and even understanding how important it is to value America and liberty. Mm, Big mistake. I don't blame them, but it was a big mistake. That's why you have to teach them all the time. You have to teach your kids character all the time. It's much more important that they do character work than homework. Very few parents believe that. Did you do your homework? How are your grades? Did you do your homework? How are your grades? Got to get you into a prestigious college. No. We got to get your character up to snuff. That's what it should have been. And finally, number seven. You shall be happy. Chapter 12, verse 7. That there is a biblical law to be happy 
is what has shaped my entire approach to happiness, that it is a moral obligation, not just an emotional state. We owe being, or at least acting happy, to everyone in our lives, and yes, even to God, because no one makes the case for atheism more persuasively than unhappy religious people. Yeah, yeah. Deuteronomy well, that, is filled that, that, with... That should be uh, pretty clear. You meet a happy religious person, and you take religion more seriously. You meet an unhappy religious person, you'll take religion less seriously. Makes perfect sense. If it's supposed to be effective, why are you so miserable? And the final paragraph. More persuasively than unhappy religious people, Deuteronomy is filled with life-enriching insights like these. I explained them in depth in the Rational Bible, my commentary on the first five books of the Bible. Those books are the best antidote to unhappiness and the best protection against evil ever written. I'm Dennis Prager. This video is made possible. Yep, okay, there you go. That's correct. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com.